You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more information about this show, as well as my other show, Enthusiasts, previously called How to Stan, visit 17caratkpop.weebly.com. And sign up for the show's free newsletter for interviews and much more at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Thank you! Real quick PSA before I get into this episode. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, I worked on this at the top of the year. And I explained in the episode why I delayed the release of it, but I promise you my predictions about tour announcements were made before the tour announcements. Dreamcatcher, TXT, etc. I'm very proud of myself for predicting those, but I really did predict them, I promise you. I'm not just claiming I predicted that would happen. So yes, the tours I predict, some have been announced by the time this episode is out, but were not by the time I made the predictions and recorded them. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. In today's two-part episode, first we're going to talk about the survey results, then some big predictions for 2023. Because New Jeans released a new song at the start of the month, I wanted to put out my guide to New Jeans right away. It was timely, people were talking about the new release, wondering what makes them so popular. I wanted to share my take on that right away, it seemed more timely. So now that that episode is out, it's time for this episode of what you voted for, for the best of 2022. Mostly with the focus on K-pop, but I threw in some J-pop and C-pop options too, as I'm known to do. If you want to vote in future best of the year polls, make sure you're subscribed to the free newsletter at 17caratkpop.substack.com. Okay, so let's see what you picked. Starting with part one, which was just multiple choice options. For best webtoon, it was somehow a total tie, with 38.5% of you voting for BTS's Seven Fates Chaco and 38.5% voting for N-Hyphen's Dark Moon The Blood Altar. The other option was TXT's The Star Seekers, which only got 23.1% of the vote. Guys, what are you doing? I did two whole episodes about The Star Seekers. I have some writing about The Star Seekers coming to Substack soon. That is the best, by far. It is so emotionally layered and fun, but also deep. It's got more complex characters. It has a very interesting lore with a whole allegory going for it in a way. So it's relatable, but at the same time, fantastical, just like TXT's music videos. It has the coolest tie-ins to the Stars videos. I mean, go check out my Star Seekers episodes to understand what the fuss is about it. I love that so much. Guys, you gotta appreciate it more. I'm trying my hardest to promote it, because that deserved to win, frankly. For best docuseries or documentary movie, with over 42% of the vote, the winner for sure, Lay Seraphim's YouTube show, The World is My Oyster. Tied for second place was 17's Power of Love the Movie, and N-Hyphen and TXT's Backstage TXT times EN. I agree, actually. Now you guys know what you're talking about. For Le Seraphim's The World is My Oyster, for a rookie group especially, that was an interesting in-depth look at what goes into becoming a group, being a rookie group. Usually those kind of retrospectives, those sort of deep dives into the emotional behind-the-scenes side of an artist come later in their career. So it was very interesting to just see those while fresh in their mind reactions from a rookie group about those topics, about fame and things like that. It was also smart marketing, I think. That's why they're power rookies, because they got people very emotionally invested in their journey from the get-go. Unfiltered access to them from the get-go. For favorite festival performance, first place was J-Hope at Lollapalooza with over 38% of the vote. Tied at second place were two Summer Sonic Festival performances, CL and 1OK Rock. Coming in third place, votes for Band Made at the Aftershock Festival. There were a lot of other options that all got very small slices of the pie chart, including CL and 21's reunion at Coachella, which I was very surprised by. I thought that reunion might even beat J-Hope's Lollapalooza set for favorite performance, but you guys did not seem as enthused about that as I had hoped. Also, I was surprised another one of my personal votes was so not near the top of the ranking. TXT at Lollapalooza. But I'm not mad you chose J-Hope most. I understand that was a very cool set. And a historic one for him personally and for K-pop. For best reunion, this one was the most majority favoring, the most tilted result, the widest gap between first and all the other places, second, third, fourth, 
This was the landslide win of the whole survey. Best reunion, over 70% of you, said Girls' Generation. Behind them with a bit over 20% was Wanna One. In third place, EXID, and a much smaller amount for the other two options, Daya and Winner. I personally struggle with this a lot, who to pick, so I don't even know. I don't have an answer for you. What was the right way to vote? I was touched by all these reunions. Seeing artists come back together after time apart, I'm just a sucker for that. It always makes me emotional. For best unofficial release, meaning SoundCloud, YouTube, some sort of release that was not like given a proper single format, not a typical promo route or any of that. With nearly 27% of the votes, you guys chose Lay Seraphim's Ha Yunjin for Raise Your Glass. Then at second place, there was a tie between Jungkook's Mayu, which he released as part of Festa, and Hyunjin from Stray Kids with Ice Cream. But actually, after this survey was published, Ice Cream became not so unofficial anymore and was part of the Stray Kids replay track list. There were a couple other options, including what I wish had gotten way more votes that I would have picked, Taeyeon's Ghost. That performance, incredible. Also, because I just saw him in concert performing Moonlight Live. I know that's 2023 now, but it's so good, and he's performed it before in 2022. That should win as a great unofficial release, too. That track is real hit material if it was given the right promo. So yeah, Taeyeon Appreciation needs to be at the forefront, people, of best unofficial releases. I haven't done a SoundCloud song dissection series of episodes for nothing. Enough gushing about Taeyeon for me for now. You know I'll be back at that soon. Let's move on to talking about best tour. There were a bajillion options I listed for best tour, but here are the top five. Fifth most votes was a three-way tie. Card, ATs, and Luna. Fourth place, another tie, N- hyphen and Monsta X. Third place, NCT127. Second place, Dreamcatcher. And first place was another tie, TXT and 17. I'm very happy with that result, and I do appreciate the love for Dreamcatcher. That was a pleasant surprise to see so many voting for. For saddest disbandment. This was another one where I listed a bajillion options. Fifth place, Lunar Solar. Fourth place, Tracing. Third place, Bandit. Second place, New East. And first place, CLC. I cannot pick just one. CLC is definitely up there. Tracing is up there for me. Missing is a bop and a half. I really personally thought Bugaboo had promise, not just because I interviewed them and I'm biased, but they were very cute. Bling Bling really got my attention. Oh Mama is another bop and a half. Grayish were cool. They were getting better and better with vampiric aesthetic was a cool shift. And I'm always rooting for co-ed groups because they're always the classic K-pop underdogs. So it was disappointing but not surprising that Checkmate is now kaput. For best subunit or project group debut. Just barely surpassing A Pink Chabom for first place. WJSN Chikome with nearly 27% of the vote. This one was quite split a little more narrowly than some of the others. You could have also voted for Got the Bee and Mamamoo Plus and Mama Doll, who just got 6.7%. I really was charmed by WJ Senshikome and their super quirky vibe. Their whole Powerpuff Girls meets some other kind of quirky superhero comical adventures. They were just primed to be made into merch into memes, and into special memories watching the video. It was just very goofy, over-the-top, intentionally fun, and a great way to start the year. So if you want to do a concept like they did with Super Yuppers that may take time to grow on people, it's smart to do it at the top of the year. I mean, Got the Beat sort of did that too, by even premiering Step Back kind of before the year even started with that song on the set list for the New Year's Eve livestream, but the fact they didn't make a music video for it and just stuck with the dance practice video, I think just killed some of the potential momentum that song could have gotten. For best group debut, so many people were tied for 5th, 6th, 7th place, but the ultimate winners, the top three, were NMIX with 20%, New Jeans with 33%, 
and with 40% of the vote. By the way, this is one where you could vote for up to three. So some people voted for more than one. 40% chose as part of their top three, Lay Seraphim. My picks, I have to say, New Jeans and Lay Seraphim, of course. As well as, I personally found High Key to be really cool. That girl group with Athletic Girl, that just was such a catchy intro. And they look just like such cool girls that you would want to emulate. I also like the fierceness of Classy, in that they had the quirky shutdown zombie apocalypse video, and then did a complete 180, and went for a sentimental docu-series style film format for Tick Tick Boom, and then they also did a total reversal for the colorful in-your-face Zealous. They really just left quite an array of impacts in different K-pop subcategories throughout the year. Another debut that stood out to me was Nine Eye, those boys I talked about in some previous Best of the Year episodes because I was very impressed and they really excelled way past my expectations. Songs like Loner and Love, their B-sides, don't sleep on those. For Best Solo Debut, now this one I was very caveat-filled about and probably talked about this on the show before too, that in K-pop, yeah, there are some ways it's, well, technically this doesn't count as their full debut. This is one of their pre-debuts. There's like a pre-pre-debut. There's the period of actual initial promo. Or maybe you want to count a solo debut as their first OST or their first collab, not just their first main solo project. But I didn't want to worry about being too technical. So I defined best solo debut as just, this was their big first shining solo moment with kind of a loose definition. And this was another one where you could pick up to three nominees. There was a massive three-way tie for third place, with over 15%, 15 15.4% exactly, went to a bunch of different people. Yena, Yerin, Kihyun, Woozy, and Beko. A little over 30% of you chose Sulgi from Red Velvet. And at 38.5% of the vote, Nayeon from Twice. My favorites, I have to say, yes, Nayeon, yes, Kihyun from Asta X, yes, Woozy from Seventeen. I agree with Yena as well, and Yerin. Yena really just made me very happy with her cute, lazy town aesthetic. If you watch that show, you're one of my favorite people now. That kid's show aesthetic. She brought a very unique story to the screen in several just super feel-good, happy, delightful videos with over-the-top adventures. Man, she should do a collab with WJ Chikome in that same world, or they could start like a multiverse. I'm going to be brainstorming after this episode anyway. I also agreed with voting for Yerin from G-Friend. Because of the soloist, she really showed a very nice, sweet, emotional side to herself with a lot of profound lyrics about love in all forms. Her debut, called Aria, was physically beautiful and flower-filled. Love the aesthetics of the video. But the songs themselves were beautiful, too. Messages and metaphors about love, love of others and yourself, love in all its forms. She showed a very unique, promising, artistic solo vision. On to your nominations. For the the fill-in-the-blank, type-in-your-answer, non-multiple-choice part of the survey. Here's who is most nominated for Best Choreography. Fifth place, in a delightful surprise, only one of. Fourth place, Sulgi. Third, NCT. Second, 17. And first, Stray Kids. I was a bit surprised how much boy groups got the lead in those choices. Because girl groups really delivered this year with choreo. Lay Seraphim with those hair flips. Twice with the cute L-O-V-E arm moves for Talk That Talk. Blackpink for Pink Venom. I mean, come on, people. Not that I have anything against Stray Kids moves either. For Best Collaboration, this was a huge variety, but the name that really showed up more than all the others. So when so many other collabs got a couple votes here and there, the one that just was clearly cited just beyond all the others again and again and again. Left and Right by Jungkook and Charlie Puth. I was actually a bit surprised how many of you did not say Sai and Suga's That That. I thought they might win it all. Or one of RM's Indigo collabs. TXT this year had cool collabs. Last year now with Ian Dior and Salem Elise. The PS5 song is so funny and I'm still loving it. 
This was a very interesting, surprising pick for you guys. The most nominated groups for best music video outfits. Actually expected you all to reply with specific videos, but a lot of people didn't. They just said the artist with the coolest video looks this year. So that's what I turned the question into, and this is what you picked. Fifth place, TO1. Fourth place, A Pink and A Pink Chaboom. I just combined them here. Third place, Dreamcatcher. Second place, I've. In first place, Stray Kids. I mean, they did have cute casual style for Case 143, and they look good for all the other track videos. They look cool in the leather for Maniac. So I guess I could see why they won. But I guess I was surprised by how much that they won the first place. I personally think the best looks for videos this year came from Dreamcatcher. Beautiful dresses, beautiful hair and makeup, a pink, especially for Dilemma, very prom ready. Speaking of prom ready, I would also say Stacy's dresses and G Idol, because their outfits really helped tell a story and went with the whole overall package deal of their concept. They leaned into the Valentine's Day aesthetic, Marilyn Monroe vibe, classic Hollywood vibe, mixed with modern trends, an empowering message, wearing skin-bearing outfits, but only to a point. Yes, I'm going to dress sexy, but only as much as I want to. Only as revealing as I want to. Not how much you want me to. I broke this down in past episodes and in my G-Idol specific essays on my Substack because they really do use the clothes to tell their story more. So I would also factor that in when saying as a whole overall most praiseworthy video looks of the year probably should have gone to g idol for best girl group of the year fifth most cited dreamcatcher fourth blackpink third billy you guys must have been checking out my billy specific episode of the show that convinced you they are so underrated they have a very unique world building going on second place a pink in first place for sure with 20% of respondents saying this group, I've. There was more love than I expected for Vivi's, Enmix, and Iris as well. They were all in the top 10. Luna was there twice. Quite surprised how actually not many of you chose Le Seraphim, despite the fact for the other song-specific questions, Le Seraphim won a lot of votes. But specifically when just talking about best girl group period, not so much. So that was, that was interesting. For best boy group of the year, a lot were tied for third place, most cited. Only one of NCT Dream and N hyphen. Second place, with just over 22% of the votes, BTS. And with just over 33% of the votes, so about a third of you said Stray Kids. Stray Kids won big this year throughout the survey. Now, my picks for Best Boy and Girl Group of the Year, I'm just looking at 2022 specifically. I really overthink this stuff, probably more than any voter did, but I'm just trying to be extra analytical as I often am. And if we're just looking about this year in isolation, most impressive girl group was G-Idol, with their storytelling going to new heights, with their new albums I Love and I Never Die. Personally, the growth is immense. Lyrically, visually, their storytelling is just so much better than ever. And for a boy group, I do have to say 17, not just subjectively. But objectively, I do think they had a stellar year too, surpassing their own high bar for storytelling. With the whole Face the Sun concept and the whole 13 Shadows teaser video series rich with symbols. For best solo act of the year, fifth most cited, Yenna. Four, Sun Mi. Third, Nayeon. Second, Taeyeon from Girls' Generation. And one, J-Hope. Now for me being my usual overly analytical self again, looking just at the year in isolation, I would say the most impressive soloists of 2022 were Nayeon from Twice and Kihyun from Monsta X. Kihan really just showed why he was selected, period, with his powerhouse vocals covering both light and heavy, silly and serious, lighter and darker musical styles. His voice was a chameleon all year. It made me flash back to his No Mercy days when he auditioned for Monster X and the judge's reaction was so funny because it was so shell-shocked, like, oh my gosh, the pain in this guy's voice is so real. He is really, really feeling this performance. 
This is not an act for him. This is personal. Who hurt him? He had that kind of effect on me, listening to Rain. So impressive. And then there's Twice's Nayeon, who admittedly is my bias, but I'm trying to look at it objectively too, and I do think she really stood out as a soloist. After years of no Twice member going solo, this was a very cool start to that. Start to hopefully a trend. And she was just her usual bubbly, cute, happy self, wearing an incredible amount of outfits, looking so cute, and inviting you to dance along for pop. Such a light, fun summer jam. Who you picked? For best music videos of the year. This was another one where some of you were specific about the video, others were just saying the artist, so I just at the end of the day ranked them based on the artists who most frequently came up as opposed to a specific video. The top 10 I'll reveal, because it's quite interesting. Yerin from GFriend got 10th place. 9th place, Le Seraphim. 8, Blackpink. 7, Only One Of. 6. A-Pink or A-Pink Chaboom. 5. Twice. 4. Dreamcatcher. 3. BTS. 2. Stray Kids. And 1. I've. Stray Kids and I've fans were busy voting for this. A-Pink fans really turned out too. Dreamcatcher fans, I see you guys. My picks for best videos of the year, obviously I have to say 17. I also think Dreamcatcher's cinematic story was taken to new heights, and aesthetically too, just next level beautiful with their outfits, their goddess makeovers, their superpowers, all the colorful lighting, and supernatural elements to their story. I also thought NCT Dream were just so cute and likable, playing Cupid, running this video game store part of the time, and then a matchmaker service by night. It was just a very cute adventure in glitch mode. Also impressive how they did choreography that looked like they were buffering, like glitching, like they themselves were part of the game entering glitch mode. Then there was the cute and colorful, sunny, happy beatbox. And a fun H.O.T. homage with the video for Candy. So 17 Dreamcatcher, NCT Dream. And another artist who really impressed me with the videos this year, Red Velvet. Because they combined so many cool aesthetics for a very unique picture book vibe that mixed their inner child flourishing with signs of just sassiness and bite. Peekaboo era red velvet sass and sinister underpinnings. A freaking seance again, but mixed with flowers and teddy bears and a very angelic look. Cool sweet dresses, a garden party vibe. Plus they mixed forms, showing love to ballet and art shows paintings. It was really just a mix of art forms in a very special, beautiful way that was true to the group with their sweetness, the sugar mixed with their spice. For best K-drama of the year, third place, Little Woman. Second, 2521. In first place, which I'm so happy about, Extraordinary Attorney Wu. A story about an incredible character who is autistic, like I am, and I'm just so happy to see that representation. Her being autistic is viewed as this good thing, this superpower, more so than a hindrance in her life. It's just refreshing. Very happy that it's been so praised and widely viewed and shared. For Best OST of the Year, there were so, so many options, but what got the lead was ultimately Ki Hyun from Monsta X for Fire. A lot of you said members of Stray Kids and Hyphen, Dreamcatcher, NCT. Those were the most common choices. I personally would say Kihyun's fire was literally fire. And in Hyphen, Zero Moment is great. I also was way surprised how much I liked Coming of Age Ceremony, which is kind of like three songs in one. And it's an interesting mashup of sounds from Hyolin and Shia. I asked if there was a comeback track that took time to grow on you. Like, at first, you're like, eh, I'm not feeling this era for them. But over time, you're like, you know what, that song actually is a bop. The most common answers did not surprise me. Actually, one did, but a lot of you picked the more rock-influenced, grungy sounds. The angstier stuff like A.T.'s Gorilla, which got fifth place, and Dreamcatcher's Vision, the new metal track, which got fourth. Second and third went to the very divisive sound of N-Mix, with their mixed pop style, like two songs in one intentionally. Dice got second place, OO got third. First place, for what grew on you most after a while. 
Two Baddies by NCT127. That was definitely one where I loved it right away, but as soon as I heard it, I thought, okay, a lot of people are not going to like this. This will be divisive, but I love it. Personally, what took me a while to like was Gorilla by Atis. Definitely took some getting used to, but now I love it. What also took me a while to decide I actually like was not an earworm to me at all first. At first it was not impressed, but I heard it so much it really caught on, and now I'm just realizing, oh my gosh, I don't know what they did, what formula they used, what secret sauce was used here, but they knew what they were doing when they made this song. They made a timeless appeal for it, if you give it more of a chance. New Jeans, Hype Boy. It just takes a moment to get used to new jeans when you're used to hearing K-pop that's kind of a different style. You'll know what I mean if you check out the new jeans specific episode of the show, shameless plug. Two more categories. I asked what was the coolest piece of K-pop merch you bought this year. This was another one where I should have been clear asking you to be specific because a lot of people just said this artist name instead of specifically what you get that was super cute. But the most cited groups... Third most cited was merch from NCT. Second, Dreamcatcher. And first, Stray Kids. Yeah, the stays and insomnias were coming for this poll. My pick, I would say, honestly, TXT. I think TXT has some of the coolest merch out there that ties into their whole concept. I wouldn't be surprised if by next year, some of the favorite merch is from New Jeans as well, because they too have that vibe of it being a full package deal, where the packaging in the album aesthetic is a perfect match and complement, like another piece of the same puzzle to what their whole comeback story is about. It brings the story to life as part of the full picture, not just an add-on. So it feels like a piece of the puzzle you have to get. It's just very smartly marketed and distinct. TXT's and New Jeans's. Then there are your picks for best song cover of the year. Fifth place, Jaehyun, with Can't Take My Eyes Off You by Frankie Valli. Fourth place, He Soon from N Hyphen, Off My Face by Justin Bieber. Third place, Chunla and Jisun from NCT, For Youth by Trey Sivan. Second place, Yoohyun and Jiyu from Dreamcatcher, for their cover of Monster by Irene and Sulgi. In first place, I am from Stray Kids. Kwon Jin Ah's Consolation. Now what I think, personally, deserved way more love for this answer. Yuki from G-Idol for any cover she does. And Soongwon from Seventeen. His cover of As It Was by Harry Styles. Love it so much. His cover of Juice by Lizzo with Lee Yunji. So cool. So much personality. Lastly, for this part of the episode... I just want to share more of my best picks that I did not end up including in your official survey. Just more awards that you should consider, and feel free to share with me what you would have voted for. Here are the questions I considered asking you, and thought about the answers too, but ultimately omitted for time. For a biggest bias wrecker from any group, I picked Jake from N-Hyphen especially because of seeing him in concert. That just reminded me, wow, okay, you are so charming. Best live stream concert. DSM 10 New Year's Eve tradition. Festival sets are always fun live. And in hyphen and TXT teaming up. What dreams are made of? Favorite K-pop music show. This year I have to say my favorite was Inky Gayo, solely because of Yeonjun from TXT getting an MC gig. Best remixes. This is also just kind of a PSA for what to watch this year. It's always a winner to keep tabs on these types of remixes. Anything Steve Aoki touches, Rehab, R, number three, H-A-B. Narin, N-A-R-I-N, especially with their acapella medleys. The SM Entertainment Ice Cream DJ Remix Series. The SM Town Orchestra Recreations of Classics. And the Vitamin String Quartet, who released a beautiful BTS covers album last year. So Narin, orchestral remixes, and other ice cream remixes, Vitamin String Quartet, Steve Aoki, and Rehab. I love Rehab's remix of Pirate by Everglow, and Steve Aoki this year remixed Nude by G-Idol. The SM Town Orchestra did a beautiful job with Black Mamba by Espa. That really blew me away. And I personally think the best ice cream remix from last year was the Espa remixes for girls, especially Minutes. Also, I have to shout out the Durari Treasure Rock remix because that song I never look back. 
Like, the Rock remix far surpasses, in my book, the OG version of the song, honestly. Like, the Rock remix should have just been the version they released as the main version. That Rock remix is, it did what it had to do. Last but not least, I'd like to share with you my picks for the best English language releases. The English language only Western artist albums that really just were on my playlist on repeat. In no particular order. Palais Royale, Fever Dream, definitely for fans of Nine Inch Nails, Set It Off, or maybe Panic at the Disco or Fall Out Boy mixed with something way more industrial. Look, they're a really cool rock group. I love them. My Hyper Pop Queens, Lolo Zue with Playgirl, and Charlie XCX with Crash. One of the best rappers of all time, Kendrick Lamar, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Everyone's always surprised that I love Kendrick Lamar and have for years, but whatever, I'm proud of it. The Weeknd's Dawn FM, a retro synth pop delight. And Anna Sophia's Let Me Out, I'm Free. She continues to be such an underrated, edgy pop alternative artist. On to predictions. Number one, your list of artists to watch. In terms of girl groups, Kepler, New Jeans, Ive, Mamamoo, Lay Seraphim, and Baby Monster. Ive are topping the brand rankings month after month. They have an interesting formula, which actually I learned Starship has just done for every artist, really, where they work backwards. They think about what would make a song a hit, then create the song kind of backwards to see what steps would take them to reach that hit status. They have a unique formula for crafting bops, and it's clearly paying off. Kepler was all the rage at KCON, at least in LA. They really are showing such admiration, and Wadida was such an enormous, strong start to their career. Le Seraphim got global attention right away and are set to spend the year touring and doing more fan interacting. Baby Monster, the new YG group, already has the seal of approval overtly via video. We saw that approval from Blackpink and Winner, so that really helps. I think they will be quite buzzed about. Mamamoo, as they embark on their world tour and continue to just be superstars, each of them individually. And then New Jeans for breaking every freaking record you could think of and being super rookies for all the reasons I laid out in my New Jeans specific episode. Other artists to watch this year include female rappers like Jackie Y and Lee Yunji. I really think they are primed for a lot more attention and success this year. And speaking of rappers, I am for Monsta X. I think I am will have some big Western artist collabs this year, more networking in Korea. Maybe more work with Soul by Soul. I think he's just very freed up and in a creative mood to lean into a rap and R&B vibe. So he'll release more solo music and or some big collabs now that he's kind of untethered from Starship Entertainment. It will also be a big year for other R&B artists, I think. K-R&B artists and K-rappers. I think the K-pop popularity will stay super big, but continue to expand to encompass the popularity for K-rock. Way more diversity in Korean music interest globally. So I think that new K-rock appreciation mixed with more early career award show wins than I had expected, in a pleasant surprise, will help Extinary Heroes have a really successful year too. Lastly, watch out for Eric Nam, who continues to just be so likable without trying. This effortless style to his cry dance music, his relatable raw lyrics, his casual look, his approachable nature, and that he's going to be a movie star now too, and he's just entrepreneurial-wise taking off as well. It's going to be another big year for him in many different creative areas. Number two, here's who I think will tour. Big predictions for USA Tours. Dreamcatcher again, Kepler, Ive, New Jeans, Lay Seraphim, Treasure, Card, TXT, some SM Entertainment Girl Group, probably Espa, maybe Red Velvet, and Got7, either group-wide shows or solo members on tour. Number three, I do think, though, there will be many instances this year where tours get canceled or just otherwise abruptly changed. Because as much as a lot of artists the past year or so have really skyrocketed in upgraded venues, I think this is a year of big unpredictability and tumult for the less popular acts. There's going to be a widening gap this year between the popular and not-so-popular groups in America. 
I'm just saying for America because the tour scene and K-pop scene in other countries, I can't give a personal take on. But from my vantage point, there are a lot of groups who have gone from concert halls up to theaters or upgraded from theaters to arenas, arenas to stadiums. Well, not really, but that's coming, etc. So I think the more that happens, like, for example, P1 Harmony playing super small venues last year are now going to big theaters. Theaters are a step up from concert halls for sure. There will also be artists stuck. If they can't upgrade to theaters, they might struggle more to get enough of an audience, period, to carry out the tour. Like Epex, I think the unforeseen circumstance cited as the reason for their U.S. tour cancellation was a lack of sales. Because, well, there are other factors too, but I do think, I mean, Son Un-E as well. These shows last minute are just getting canceled for what they call unforeseen reasons. And I think it's because people are spending their money on the groups they've already become fans of and invested in. There's also this bigger gap now between the groups that are doing really well popularity-wise and who isn't because people have already discovered K-pop. A couple of years ago, there were a lot more new to K-pop people, still kind of just enjoying the rookie groups, experimenting, trying out a bunch of different groups, seeing what fandoms they felt like they belonged in, what catalogs they preferred. But now people kind of found their footing, figured out who they are, an ultimate stand for more than the others. They've kind of found their home within K-pop. And so there are less new converts now. So attendance at the rookie underdog shows might just be different. It's just a year of kind of unforeseen circumstances because sometimes saying unforeseen circumstances is just a way to avoid saying poor sales, but also keep in mind it could be just literally unforeseen circumstances. Like, who would have guessed this year would be so turbulent in terms of what people are interested in spending their money on and towards who? What acts are picking up steam enough? It's a year where I think that will be more in flux than people realize. Number four, KCON New York will be back. Not because of insider info, but I think the fact that they tried a new thing with a KCON mini tour across the U.S., kind of just in place of a KCON New York, and it didn't really go as well as they'd hoped attendance-wise. I just think they're going to try to go back to what they know worked and have another Newark event, or maybe some other big KCON outside of L.A., but not a tour again like last time. Number five, this year I think is going to be a big year for the Chicago Theater for K-pop fans. Like I said, P1 Harmony upgraded there, Red Velvet might tour again, and they were there before. They could probably still fill it now. Monster X have been there. I don't know if they tour again, but more acts are reaching the Monster X level of popularity. I just see it as being a bigger place. Because again, rather than the small concert halls, the theater-sized venue is going to become more of a norm. Number six, I think other companies will follow Sumi and Lee's lead when it comes to investing in the Middle East for cultural engagement, investment, etc. Sumian Lee has been showing a lot of interest in SM Entertainment leaving an impact in Saudi Arabia, specifically. They have mutual interest culturally. He wants world domination, basically, in the pop culture space. I mean, KCON went to Saudi Arabia for the first time last year, and Saudi Arabia hosted BTS for a concert a while back. They are really leaning into Korean entertainment, as we've talked about before on the show, they have this Operation 2030, what they're calling their plan to stop relying so much on oil and stuff for their profits as a country, but to broaden their, to diversify their finances, basically. They're investing more in pop culture, and a huge investment recently, actually, over a trillion won into Kaiko. Over time, they've also invested over $3 trillion in two big South Korean game developers, so I just think their ties are going to continue to grow. Kaiko is continuing to focus super globally, too, with those U.S. platform-backed projects set to air on Disney Plus and Netflix soon. Kaiko is also behind investments of other projects you'll see in the U.S. There's a lot happening. Kaiko investing worldwide, Saudi Arabia and SM and Kaiko, SM and Kaiko and Saudi Arabia. It's quite a Venn diagram, quite a flowchart, more of a global cultural active promo push happening. Interesting economic nerdy comment for a second. What do you guys think Kaiko's debut will look like once they go public? Because their debt is really high. I mean, they make a lot of money, but they also spend a lot of money. So their initial public offering, the IPO, hard to predict because I don't know how confident investors are just because investor morale can be high if you have a lot of profit, but also low if you have a lot of debt and they have both. So I don't know. 
but I digress. On to some Blackpink-specific predictions. I really firmly believe, as much as she seems underappreciated compared to some of the other members, I think Jisoo solo debut will break the other members' debuts, will break the records for sales and views. It's going to break the records. Even the most popular member, I think it's probably Jenny Worldwide, but I really think Jisoo's going to pass her records and Lisa's and Rosé's. And I think Jenny's show, The Idol, is going to break HBO Max streaming records. Not just because of her, but that will certainly play a role. I also think Disney Plus will report a very noticeable uptick, a statistically significant rise in subscribers, thanks to their slate of K-pop-related docuseries on the way. So K-pop will help further fuel this global streaming. And lastly, Blackpink are going to have a particularly massive year in the UK. A big hotspot for them this year. They were there previously for big publicity events like the Queen's Platinum Jubilee Affair, some of those related activities. They've spoken there. They've performed there, of course. They can fill arenas there. This summer, they're going to headline the Hyde Park Fest, which is historic. Plus, they just got their first ever Brits nomination. So I really think the UK is full of blinks and will continue to be this year. Here are some more rapid-fire predictions I have for the world of K-pop this year. Regardless of what time of year it comes out, the BTS and Pharrell Williams collab will be the song of the summer. That's what it'll be considered. Maybe informally to the fans, but it will be a summer jam. BTS's hiatus will not have the negative impact on South Korea's ranking that they worry will happen to their place on the list of most profitable music industries in the world. South Korea's been in that top 10 for a while now, in great part thanks to BTS. That is not going to change despite the fact BTS is on hiatus and is a huge driver of South Korea's financial, cultural gains. Starship Entertainment will go public on the stock market. Some of the merch trends include cassettes and other throwbacks, more vinyls, more retro aesthetics. Relatedly, like I said in the New Jeans dedicated episode, Pretty much everything New Jeans does will be a new K-pop trend, to some degree. They'll set the trend sonically, fashion-wise, all sorts of ways. So expect this year more fresh-faced, more relatable narratives, more non-maximalist, larger-than-life videos and concepts. More down-to-earth, girl-next-door kind of vibes. Still a lot of cinematic, dramatic stuff, just not at the extent it's been before. Many more artists will start getting into webtoons and other animated content to add to their world building. Despite the divisive reaction so far, Enmix will not stop trying to make mix pop happen. They are mix pop brand of pop they're still going to keep doing, despite the reaction. More older groups will try to have their own Brave Girls revival moment, Kara revival moment, a moment to suddenly come back into the spotlight like no time has passed. Seventeen will get to promote their new release, some sort of limited time Apple Music event, like a radio show, like BTS's three-part Apple Music show from last year. Something big will be planned for G-Dragon's grand solo comeback. Big is in maybe some dome shows, Maybe a huge Rolling Stone cover story that gets a lot of attention. Maybe a huge festival headlining spot. Something big. Big, big, big. Artists will continue to be more hands-on than ever in their work. Producing, composing, writing, singing, choreography, whatever they want to do. They've continued to do that, but I think even more we'll see. SoundCloud releases, YouTube releases, unofficial mixtapes of all kinds. I mean, already this year we have yet another one-man agency starting up, Human Made by Lee Soongi. Plus Bam Bam launched Bam House on YouTube, Jisoo has her own YouTube channel now. It's already a big year for this stuff. And finally, attempts to start a new copycat of a pre-existing app or show, a reboot of something, or a new twist on something, like the Universe app, trying to kind of mimic Weverse. Those copycats will get squashed. They won't take off. The media consolidation will continue. Because Universe did basically get acquired by another company, long story short. So it's officially over mid-February. It only lasted two calendar years, really. And it's very interesting, actually, that it's being acquired by Dear You, which is home to Bubble as well. And the Bubble service is used heavily and invested in heavily by SM and JYP Entertainment. So two of the big K-pop companies. 
SM Entertainment owns 31% of DRU shares, JYP over 18%. So basically, rival companies are investing in Universe now because they're both investing in DRU, which just bought Universe. All this is to say that places that try to kind of stand out will inevitably somehow be linked to the finances of one of the big 4 K-pop companies and kind of under their domain in some tangential way. A truly like independent alternative, not going to take off. So quick summary of what to keep your eyes on this year. All the artists to watch and tours to watch I listed, which I will recap and revisit at the end of this year. KCON New York is back. Sumin Lee will inspire other companies to try to invest in Saudi Arabia or similar countries geographically. The Chicago Theater will be big for K-pop this year, as well as similar-sized venues. I think more K-pop artists than the usual crowd will attend big Western events. Award shows, fashion shows, etc. We're used to now kind of seeing Blackpink or BTS get love on the red carpet, TXT to an extent too, occasionally Monster X or NCT, but I think that number's going to grow a lot. Like, suddenly, we're going to see some love on the red carpet for American award shows for P1 Harmony and other up-and-comers. New Jeans, even, maybe. The BTS and For All collab will be a summer smash. BTS will not have their absence hinder South Korea's global standing musically in terms of sales, as much as people fear. Starship will go public. Cassettes and other throwback merch will be big. Conglomerates and media will keep up doing what they do. More unofficial artist releases. New jeans will have quite a wave of influence on many fronts. More webtoons and animated content driving artist world building. Groups trying to have their own Brave Girls effect. 17 with Apple Music. G-Dragon with a big solo return. Nmix will keep doing Nmix. Blackpink having a big UK year, Jisoo thriving and breaking records, and streaming really being aided by K-pop stars, Disney Plus subscribers, and HBO Max views. Now I have a couple predictions that I really don't think are necessarily going to happen. These are just ones that I just want to manifest into existence, that I'm just going to put out here right now and hope that I'm speaking something into existence. A new Stray Kids and Sky High collab. Love seeing my K-pop and J-pop faves, worlds colliding, but Just Breathe was, frankly, a very disappointing collab. Wanted much more from it. Let's do a do-over collab. Or a music video cameo, that'd be cool. A Purple Kiss publicity boost. Purple Kiss are such an underrated group. Purple Kiss are just doing something super unique with their work. And like I told you before, my brother's a big fan, even though he doesn't like K-pop. And he's mostly into heavy metal kind of stuff. But something about their bops are just magical to win over non-K-pop listeners too. So I hope they get a U.S. tour sooner rather than later and really pick up more buzz. I need a fun backstory to the Paradise Diner. You know the diner. You've seen it in 10 million videos for Skyle, Q-Man, Schumann, Stacy. I mean, it's truly insane how many K-pop groups have filmed at the Paradise Diner. I don't know if it's sort of a special rental agreement all these companies are in on or what, but I want a full oral history of this diner. I need a big, deep lore. There's got to be a story behind why so many groups, so many K-pop artists specifically film at this diner. And I don't want a boring answer about, yeah, it's this famous CEO owns the place. I don't know. No, I want like a fun, it can be fictionalized if it must, but I want like a a half hour special or something exploring the mystery of why the Paradise Diner is so hot. And I don't need a story for this, but I do want to see another music video trend be discussed or at least stay popular. Fuzzy hats. Fuzzy hats are a fashion trend in K-pop. I just love it so much and I want that trend to stick. I hope to finally see K-pop come to Summerfest. Finally, we have some K-pop going to Wisconsin, like One Us. Usually it doesn't happen because if they're going somewhere around this part of the Midwest, they choose Chicago instead. But come on, Summerfest is the biggest music fest in the world. ton of Chicago people like me go to it and love it every year. It is overdue to have some K-pop in Summerfest. Lastly, I hope for more cinema. More world building and rich storytelling. 
Now, I know I said I think the trend will be more of the new jeans flavor, where the stories are more realistic and maybe less fantastical, but I still hope to see a lot of that stuff. And I hope more acts do kind of what Billy's done, Extraordinary Heroes, and Hyphen TXT, where they release like a short intro video or a follow-up trailer, different trailers, different mini short films of sorts, to accompany your basic music video release. Like a multi-episode mini-series. I love those multi-part visuals. Now I want to end with just some questions I have. I honestly cannot predict what's going to happen with this stuff. I've been tossing and turning in my brain what I think will happen, and I really don't know. I'm really struggling to decide what might happen. So here are questions I'll pose to you. Feel free to think about it and share your thoughts with me. Will Momoland still be a group? Will they ever reach the peak they did with Boom Boom and Bam? Can they recreate that magic? Will Luna live on? Will they be able to, long story short, with the contracts, some contracts being terminated, others losing the lawsuit to do so, could the whole group still, once all the contracts expire, finally reunite at a different company and regroup and promote as Luna again? What's going on with that? My predictions are not positive. I don't see a rosy picture ahead for the group, but I could be wrong. I just don't think public pressure is enough to go against legal rulings and all that's happened so far I laid out in the latest Lunaverse Talk episode. So, But I don't want to predict the downfall of them because I don't want to speak that into existence and it's really hard to think about because I adore them. So fingers crossed Luna's unanticipated hiatus is just that, a hiatus, then the contracts will hopefully run out and we'll see them all together once again. Will this be the year BTS finally get a Grammy? The year, of course, that they're not there to accept the award. Will Lightsome rebuild? They had some hits on their hands with Alive and Vanilla, but they clearly are not at the caliber of, just popularity-wise, of Labelmates G-Idol. Are they going to be an underinvested girl group from Cube Entertainment by comparison? And with the member switch-up, will that hurt or help the strength of the group? Will there be accountability for whoever leaked personal pictures of Jenny's? Will there be criminal charges, a settlement, how that will end up? I don't know. Lastly, what will officially count as part of this 17-13 tape series of mixtapes? Because technically, Vernon's is called the third in the series, so we're not counting certain solo member releases, adding up to the 13 tapes. What is part of canon here in the storyline, and why? It seems arbitrary to me, and I'm confused, but all can be forgiven as soon as Joshua Solo comes. Alright, those are my thoughts for today. Thank you all for tuning in, and I'll get back to you very soon. Bye everybody!